So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dee. And the N3, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. My name is Rachel. I'm Jen. And I'm Monica. And we talk about Starsky and Hutch and Starsky and Hutch related things. It's yeah. True. Sometimes, sometimes it starts with a meal. As I had a feta burger at a Greek restaurant today, you know who else had a Greek restaurant? Or was tied to one at least. Paul Michael Glazer's character in an episode of The Streets of San Francisco. That is correct! <laughs> very few people would have gotten that trivia. Yeah, that's very obscure <laughs> trivia. People would be like, I don't know, John Stamos probably? <laughs> Sorry, he was the first creep person I could think of. So yeah, we watched uh, an episode of The Streets of San Francisco, which aired in the, what, early 70s? Late 60s? Yeah, I mean, I could Something to find that out for you in a jiffy. Uh, it starred Michael Douglas. Very young Michael Douglas. Indeed. And in this episode, Paul Michael Glazer was the prodigal son of a Greek family who turned out to be not as prodigal uh, as was everyone was led to believe. Yes, the episode is called Bitter Wine, and it was from 1972. Okay. Monica liked it better than Rachel and I did. than you. I don't know if she liked it better than me. Well, you seem to think that the acting was actually good in that episode, Monica. I mean, across the board, maybe not, but I thought, like, okay, people talk about Paul's accent, and I have no <laughs> ear for accents. Like, like, I know what a Greek accent is supposed to sound look like, and I know what a Boston accent is supposed to sound like. But, like, as long as an actor does something with their voice, usually I'm not too critical. So I don't even want to talk about his accent, because honestly, that does not bother me. I don't think that was the problem, although it was weird that he talked differently than the rest of his family, despite well, them all growing up together. For two years, seven years, prison seven makes years. you move to Boston. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but his acting was good if you set aside the issue of the accent, and I thought most of the actors did a good job. I agree. I will say, though, that I felt that their scenes with the family, there was just a very certain overwrought element to it. Yes, very overwrought. (laughs) Everyone's emotions were either at a zero or 100 at any given moment, and you... It was not clear when either of those things was going to happen or what was causing it. So maybe it was the direction that was weird. I agree with that statement, except for the what was causing it. That yes, at the beginning of the episode, you don't know why people are upset or angry. But as the episode goes on, I think it becomes clear pretty quickly. And then you know why people are upset. I don't necessarily recommend this episode, but <laughs> Paul is definitely cute in it. So that helps. 
I do, but probably not for reasons anyone else considers. Just because I was getting a bit of a nice daddy vibe off of Paul My- uh, Michael Douglas and what- whoever was the other guy. Oh, you shipped them? Uh, yeah. So, um, maybe don't, you know, don't take my recommendation. <laughs> don't take my word for it. I really like the older detective. I forget his name, but Me he too. like he's really stuffy, but he knows he's stuffy. I like that. He's a good daddy. <laughs> I do like stuffy characters. I don't have opinions on their daddiness. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I would read it. I would read it. And there was there was like a good humorous scene where like a captain. Wanted to just talk to the older detective, so he sent the younger one out to put sugar in his coffee, and then he hated the coffee afterwards. <laughs> that was good. That was a good scene. Yeah. And you said, Monica, Rachel and I haven't seen it, but there's an episode of this show that David Soul was in too, right? Yes, and I did watch it, although now it was several months ago. It's an odd episode. I feel like the story they tell in that episode is a little weird, but David is a good actor, and I don't know if you actually want me to tell you more about the episode than that, but... It's the um, racist one, isn't it? Yeah, David plays a character who is racist against Hispanic people. Yeah. And then yeah. it turns out... And then it turns out... <laughs> dun dun dun! That he's secretly Mexican? Yes. <laughs> Which uses David Soul's Spanish abilities to good use, but is a strange casting choice to yeah. cast the most blonde Nordic man in America as a Mexican man. But yeah, I mean, neither neither Paul Michael Glazer nor David Soul are playing their actual ethnicities in this in their guest appearances on this show. But there's a long tradition of Jewish actors, Italian actors, and Greek actors basically all playing each other. In various films and and television shows. So that wasn't too surprising to me. A casting director saying, yes, this guy, he's Mexican, when they looked at David Soul. (laughs) It's interesting. To be be fair, uh, part of the plot is that people don't know he's Mexican. But they could have cast a blonde Mexican man for that. So, you know, it's... And to be fair, Hollywood has a long history of casting white people. (laughs) That's not white people. That is true. true. <laughs> that is true. Now, this was very early in Paul Michael Glazer's career. Early enough that he was still calling himself Michael Glazer. Oh, yeah. But, Jen, I think you want to talk a little bit about something later in Paul Michael Glazer's career. Yes, much later. I recently watched the latest season of Grace and Frankie, and Paul Michael Glazer appears in two episodes of uh, that season as a brief old friend slash love interest for... Frankie, I won't spoil too much for those who may be fans of the show but haven't caught up, but he does play an aging hippie who does not wear shoes and (laughs) spends most of his time in a yurt, and he has a rat tail, and it's delightful, (laughs) and he is clearly having a ball in this role, and I know that Paul has not done a ton of acting, particularly screen acting, in the years uh, since his television heyday, but he still has it, and maybe this won't be the last time we see him in television guest appearances. I hope not. Yeah. I don't watch Grace and Frankie, but Jen showed me some clips of him, and it was very funny. You know, it could be. Like, obviously Starsky would never go for it, but maybe... If Hutch, like, worked on him over the years, then he might become a little bit of a hippie. I think he could embrace some 
hippie aspects of of like letting things come as they come and and wanting to love and let love but i can never see him getting into health food the food <laughs> at this ashram in the episode was basically sticks and berries and i just have to imagine that uh no version of starsky would ever and i would like to believe that no version of starsky would ever grow a bat tail I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, no, he totally would. <laughs> Maybe fashion I have an easier time seeing him get behind than than health food. What about yurt living? I mean, if Hutch moved to a yurt, Starsky would probably follow him oh, there. Oh, yeah. See, this, this really depends on what Hutch is doing. That's true. They love each other so much. They They'd do. sacrifice. They'd sacrifice for I each mean, other. I mean, they bitch about it, but <laughs> <laughs> they'd do it. Well, and anyone who has watched the Grace and Frankie episode, it was very easy to imagine the scenario of that episode with Starsky as Grace and uh, Hutch as Frankie uh, in the actual plot. And that's not normally how I would cast them, but there's definitely the ability to imagine Starsky and Hutch in those roles in that episode. Starsky and Hutch as a Grace and Frankie AU. <laughs> Their wives are lesbians with each other. Huh. And then they have to move in together and then they fall in love. I'm just gonna, just gonna put that out into the world. It's nice, but it's just so much easier to imagine them being married and They're them the being... They're the husbands. <laughs> they're the husbands, know. let's face okay, it. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine, they're the husbands. Although if we want their wives to become lesbians, that's cool too. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's hard not to ship Grace and Frankie if you watch Oh it. my god, yeah. They're very clearly in love. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's great. So we also watched something else, something that Monica was able to track down. Yeah. A while back, I wanted to know what else Bernie Hamilton had done, the actor who plays Captain Dobie. And I saw he was in a movie from the early 60s called One Potato, Two Potato, which was actually an early film portrayal of an interracial marriage. And I was quite curious. I tried to find it online. Uh, It had never been released to DVD or VHS. And I kind of gave up. And then just a while back on YouTube, I saw it and was thrilled that someone had uploaded it to YouTube. So I made Rachel and Jen watch it with me. And it was good quality. It was pretty good quality. Yeah, it was from a YouTube channel whose whole purpose is to upload rare old films. Uh, In fact, people request in the comments films for this person to track down and upload. That's great. Yeah. That's a good service. The movie was good and very sad. Yeah, but no one died. Spoiler alert, no one dies. It could have been a lot sadder, it's true. I was so worried. Bernie Hamilton plays a young man who falls in love with his co-worker, who is a white woman, and she has a daughter from her previous marriage. Uh, The dad just sort of abandoned them, and they become a family, they have another baby. Yeah, and then the husband comes, the ex-husband comes back and is angry at the situation and decides to try to gain custody of their daughter. And uh, I, I guess spoilers, yeah, he, he's able to in the end. And it's a very, yeah, it's a rough movie. It's very sad because the little mm-hmm. girl's very happy. She loves her mom she loves her new dad she loves her new brother and uh she loves her new grandparents she loves her new grandparents but the bernie hamilton's 
characters, parents are a big part of it, and they are very suspicious uh, at first of this relationship, but it's handled with um, a fair amount of nuance. And the father, um, I forget the actor's name, but he is James Earl Jones's father in real life. And everything is great for that family for a very brief period of time, and then all of a sudden this girl is being taken away, and she thinks this means that her mom doesn't love her anymore. And it's really rough. Uh, and there's a lot of title cards at the end explaining just how common this was in family courts at the time. This idea that it was not going to produce the best outcome for a child to grow up in an interracial household. So really sad. Uh, apparently it did very well at film festivals. It, was it Sundance in particular? I think so. Yeah, uh, when it first debuted. And this was from the 60s. Yeah, I'll say I, I believe it was written uh, and directed by white people. And I think some some of the ways things are handled are, are a bit sledgehammery, I yeah. guess. But it's the early 60s and all the actors do a great job. And I really like how, like, playful uh the relationship between bernie hamilton and his eventual wife is when they meet they're they're like obviously kindred spirits it's uh it's really cute until it gets sad i remember both of you being surprised at how much it focused on like the development of the relationship before like the the whole um custody battle and everything it's like very much like the last third of the movie Mm -hmm. and the previous two is really about the uh their relationship their developing relationship yeah. And it's very upsetting because the, the original, the biological father of the the girl is so clearly unfit to be a parent, has no idea how to be a parent because he abandoned this family, and yet that is completely outweighed by the racial politics. It's a rough watch, but I think it's, it's worthwhile, and it was really nice to see Bernie Hamilton in something else because I've only seen him as Dopey. Oh, he was very young and very... Very nice looking. <laughs> yes, yes, he was quite <laughs> handsome. Yeah, and it's like you forget that he's Captain Doby until there was like a scene where he was on the telephone and <laughs> the way he was holding the phone and also besides the way he smiles, uh, Bernie Hamilton had a way of like kind of smiling with half his mouth. Occasionally, the character will smile and it'll be like, "Oh, that's the Captain Doby yep. smile." Yep. And part of it is that he is so much younger than than he was on the show, but also he's playing a very different kind of character. It's hard to imagine this character yelling at anyone. (laughs) (laughs) He was very sweet. Here's a small anecdote. We're going to post a picture if Monica hasn't already done so on the Facebook page. But Monica and I visited the Mall of America, and we went to a Lego store. And uh, there was a way to make your own minifigure, and they had very limited options, but one of the options was a full head of curly black hair, and another option was a disco-style shirt with an open collar and sort of a, a necklace with, like, a circular charm on the end. And it was like, oh, okay, we just found the pieces to make a Starsky. <laughs> and then we tried our best to make a Hutch as well. We were less successful in trying to make a perfect Hutch. We found hair that was fairly similar to, say, season three-ish hair, but none of the clothes really seemed to fit. We didn't want to give him the same face as Starsky, but none of the other faces were great. But we did find a police badge. So we were able to put that in his hand. We put a croissant in Starsky's hand because he deserves food. 
Yes, I have not posted the pictures yet, but I will definitely post them with this episode. Uh, Jen found the Starsky pieces right away, uh, and then we were digging through bins of pieces. But it's true that the selection was pretty limited. They had lots of these pieces, but it was often the same bizarre outfits over and over that you'd find. So many pieces of mimes. Yes, a lot of mime pieces. We could have made a mime hutch, which we thought about. But eventually Jen found a bomber jacket. Unfortunately, it was red instead of green or black or blue, which would have been more hutch-like. And I think that's what we finally went with. We did. We did. And a lot of spiders. A lot of spiders. I think they had, like, leftover Halloween sets. Made sense. Yeah. I wish it had been a little bit better, and we didn't wind up buying them. But I did take some photographs to save them for posterity. And that Starsky was pretty cool looking. Yes. Another time I ran into Starsky in the wild was when Jen and I and a friend were playing You Don't Know Jack, which is a trivia game that you can play on computers. And a trivia question, it was about matching names and... I believe Starsky was the big name and then they had first names just flying by and you had to match Dave to Starsky. And I believe Jen got it. I did. I did. (laughs) I was doing really well at that game in general. Uh, But Monica surely would have gotten it if I hadn't been so fast. Our other friend had no chance. Here's some (laughs) trivia for our listeners. Jen is amazing at trivia. I'm amazing. You're You're pretty good, though. You've been on trivial leagues where every time you're, like, with them, they win. That is true. Although I had teammates. Yes. So that helps. But I I do tend to beat other people. I feel bad when I beat people who don't tend to win a lot. I feel really good when I beat people who do tend to win a lot. Fair enough. (laughs) So that's how I felt when our third friend uh, was playing with us. Beating him was a triumph. (laughs) I did come across a Starsky and Hutch reference in a song, and I don't even remember for sure. It was definitely on the internet. Someone was saying, my favorite Space Hog song is Starside, because it mentions Starsky and Hutch. And I was like, okay, I don't know who Space Hog are, (laughs) but let me look up this song. It's on YouTube. And indeed, the song does mention Starsky and Hutch. But in order to get it to rhyme with way, they pronounce Starsky, Starsky. So just hearing it on the radio, you might not even realize that they're talking about Starsky and Hutch. But the uh, lyric that it comes up in is, Love always gets in the way, just like in Hutch and Starsky. So I guess you can imagine that love gets in the way in all their failed relationships, or love gets in the way of their police work and it's their own love. I mean, obviously that. I, That's the second interpretation is correct. But none of that song makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm going with the assumption until I'm proven otherwise that the band Space Hog is composed of the Muppets from Pigs in Space. I am totally on board with that. <laughs> that's the name of a Starsky and Hutch fanfic written by Molo that I've not yet read. One of the I've few... seen that fic. Yeah, it's a space AU. In so there. they're going with like the cop pig. Yes. That's great. That's <laughs> I'm, great. I'm definitely going to read it at some point because I've enjoyed many of Molo's stories. Speaking of fic, there's a great stack of zines in front of Monica right now. It's pretty amazing. I might have slightly lost my mind. <laughs> 
No, no, no. You did all the right choices. You you had all the right choices. While at the Mall of America, Monica's looking at her phone where, while we're on the line for the aquarium and going, ooh, someone else put more zines up. How many should I buy? And I'm like, Monica, we're at the aquarium. You don't have to buy zines right now. To be fair, we weren't actually in the aquarium yet. There was a long line. <laughs> Once we got to the shark tunnel, I put my phone down. That's true. And That's looked true. at the sharks. I, I think I can even segue Molo to zines because when deciding what zines to buy, you have to decide what's important to you because there are so many zines out there. So many. So many. Starsky and Hutch fandom put out all the zines, hundreds of zines. And a lot of them are still available if you don't mind paying some money and know where to look. Some people have been selling their zines on the Facebook group. And the criteria I tend to go with is historical significance. That sounds a little pretentious, but bear (laughs) with me. Or specific stories that aren't available elsewhere. And for historical significance, I really like finding the earlier zines from the late 70s and the early 80s, because I am really interested in what fandom looked like pre-internet. And you get a great glimpse of the fact that before the internet, all the components of fandom were basically there. People had silly cartoons and drawings that would kind of uh, equal today's memes and silly posts. You get meta in early zines. Uh, Obviously, there are letter zines for people to just uh, review stories and share their thoughts. And then other zines that are more modern that overlap uh, internet fandom because Starsky and Hutch zines continue to to be published quite frequently and quite heavily through even the early 2000s. I think that zines have dropped off in production in the last eight years uh, quite a bit, but prior to that. So for those, I just like looking for stories because fan lore is such a wonderful resource. So Almost every Starsky and Hutch zine, I think, has an entry on fan lore that says what the contents of the zine are, what stories are there, and often says whether or not they're available online. So if there's a story that sounds really cool and it's not available online, I will be very tempted to buy it. And I am into her comfort. Um, I'm into Hutch stories. Obviously, I love them both. But if there's a hurt Hutch story only available in a zine, I do kind of want to buy it. And so I did, in fact, buy a zine because Molo had two short stories in it that are not available online. And yeah. So I guess I will just say quickly, I got... No, actually, listing all of those would take forever. Listen, all of those would make everyone jealous. It would make people jealous. Uh, so I don't think I will list them all. I actually, you know what? I think, I think I've said what I need to say about zines. Uh, once I've read some of them, I might talk more about them. Although it's not my intention to make listeners jealous. So, uh, <laughs> and that's jealous of all of us because we can borrow these from Monica yeah. anytime we want. We that should is- have a zine reading party. It's my dream, and this is a weird dream, so I'm sorry, listeners, but to host not a convention, but a, a get-together, a mini a mini con, perhaps, perhaps like a baby zebra con. Zebra calf. Aw, uh, <laughs> baby zebras are so cute. In Chicago, or Kalamazoo, or somewhere, just have a hotel room for one day, two days at the most, and then people can just come and read zines. 
they can bring their own zines. We can pass them around and have food, snacks, watch a couple episodes, chat, of course, but mostly just share zines with other fans who might be in the Midwest area and are able to drive at low expense to a big city. Microzine con. <laughs> Microzine. I like it. Well, it's a micro con. Yeah. And then there'd be zines. Right. I don't even know if calling it a con would work. I think I'd have to call it like a a meetup, a weekend. A zine up. <laughs> a zine up. That That's... sounds like a prenup in space. It sounds like a prenup for Zena and Gabrielle. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> or does anyone marrying Zena? I mean Gabrielle. I mean yes. Okay, or Callista, I guess. What assets does Zena have that she needs a prenup? Um, Argo. I clearly she don't know let enough about Zena. Take Argo. It's like if someone tried to take the Torino when divorcing Starsky. You know, except Argo's like flesh and blood. Starsky and Hutch definitely don't need a prenup because there's no way Hutch wants the <laughs> Torino. <laughs> there's no danger. <laughs> Can you imagine any situation, though, where Hutch would take the Torino just to piss off Starsky? Yes. I mean, this would involve having to imagine them divorcing, and I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> well, the threat of divorce, and then they make up. Then they kiss and make up. That's fair. Callie, would you like to be part of the podcast? Callie. Yeah, Callie? She sounds so sad because she can't reach us across the coffee table. There's too much stuff on it. It's true. I mean, it's kind of her own fault. She could figure it out if she really wanted to. So what? This this is, I think, our 22nd episode. And I still have one single episode to watch. It's impressive because you've been watching them in order and not skipping any. Whereas I have skipped around and therefore have still a handful of season four left to watch. I mean, I did skip this one in order to watch the the last five. Because they're all set. Yeah. But still. So next time we definitely need to watch Huggy Can't Go Home. And I'd also really love to watch Jillian because it is one of my absolute favorites while looking at the script and seeing what sort of things they uh, didn't make the final cut. So I think that's definitely a plan, uh, depending on how long it takes us, either for uh, our next two episodes or our next one uh, episode where we can talk about these things. Yeah. So this is us giving you a preview of what we're going to do in the future. And also making ourselves commit to it at the same time, because (laughs) we're telling you. I do want to apologize uh, for this shorter episode. I've been sitting here yawning as if I've been on stakeout all night. <laughs> but it is my bedtime. Not enough coffee in a thermos. Well, you know. We just went to see the favorite that has nothing to do with Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> Although, <laughs> if you were to do a sort of royalty AU, how would you make Starsky and Hutch fit into it? Would you have Starsky and Hutch both vying for the favor of Kira? Or would you have uh, Royal Hutch and Starsky and Vanessa vying for his favor? Ooh, that's better. That's more backstabby. That would fit better with the tone of the favorite, is that one. For a Royal AU in general, though, I kind of like this idea of them fighting over Kira 
and then realizing that they're more into each other than they are to Kira. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think that would be the only true way to end because that's how that episode ends. Yes. So you would definitely have them falling in love with each other and leaving, which I think has happened on some like reality TV shows where like yeah, that happened on The Bachelor. Well, okay, okay. It didn't quite happen on The Bachelor. What ha- the Bachelor picked someone else. But two of the con- contestants ended up dating each other. Nice. That's what I like hearing. That should happen more often. Yeah. There should be more queer dating shows. Yeah. I would also be up for an arranged marriage royal AU where <gasps> they're both the princes of different kingdoms. Oh, be so and my heart. <laughs> then it's sort of a... Uh, they don't know how to deal with each other at first because they're so different. And then they wind up, like, foiling the plan of a royal assassin or something like that. And now they're crime-fighting princes. <laughs> who are married. Oh, that would be a fun film. The fact that Starsky and Hutch have so different personalities uh, works pretty well with Fick and with odd couple pairings and fitting them into AUs. But I have a fic rec that is not an AU, but does deal with their very different personalities. And I just want to start by saying I am a Virgo, and a lot of fic writers, if they bring up astrology, label Hutch as a Virgo. And I don't even remember if this is canon or not. I believe David Soul is a Virgo, so people might just be taking his birthday as Hutch's birthday. Anyway. Hutch makes sense as a Virgo. Yes. I, I like... Hutch is Virgo. And I don't even, like, take astrology stuff seriously because I know lots of people who are born in my uh, sign um, who have very different personalities than me. So I know it doesn't really mean anything. But there's a fic called Aries slash Virgo by Constance Collins. And uh, in this story, Hutch is a Virgo and Starsky is an Aries. And... The author posts excerpts from an actual book, uh, Linda Goodman's Love Signs, copyright 1978. This is an astrology book that talks about how different signs react to each other in romantic relationships. Pretty sure my mom owns that book. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So it has uh, an excerpt about how Aries and Virgo relate to each other, and then it will have um, a scene from Starsky and Hutch's life that shows that kind of dynamic playing out between Starsky and Hutch. And I thought that was just such a really clever uh, way to format a story, to to frame their relationship. And obviously the author can kind of pick and choose what bits from the book that they want to best fit Starsky and Hutch's actual personalities. But it just seems to fit really well. So I really found myself entertained uh, by this story and just really charmed by the concept of the story. That sounds really fun. Yeah. I might have to check that out. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for you. If you would like to talk to us about this episode or anything else, you can find us at our website, meandtheand3.com. You can find us on Twitter at meV3, even though I'm really terrible at keeping up with it. Or you can shoot us an email at our email at meandtheand3 at gmail.com, which we check like once a week. <laughs> Don't be offended if we 
don't reply to you right away. We're all pretty bad at that. So And we're busy. So it's never anything personal. But we never. do really appreciate when you do reach out. Yes, it's thank you so much. So great. Yes. Uh, I love the comments that we get. Comments are great. <laughs> this fandom is great. It is. It's a good fandom. Alright, until next time. Thank Bye. you for listening. Bye. Bye. Go next since we're... Can we start again? Yeah.